Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. I recently talked about health literacy in a session that the organizers had titled The Stumbling Block, Health Literacy. Now, the overall theme of the conference was building blocks, and I thought that was clever and fitting. I like focusing on resources. And there are a few implications in a title like The Stumbling Block, Health Literacy. So in this episode, I'm going to look at one of them, specifically as it relates to patient or client education. And I'm going to end with three tips to help you get around that stumbling block. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. As providers... You want patients and clients to have health information in a way they can use. You want to share what you know in a way that will help make a positive influence in patients' lives in the short and long term. You know that health literacy has to do with patients' understanding of health information. And so, clever people that you are, you figure that health literacy somehow plays a part in patient education. And you're right, it does. Maybe more than you think. Certainly more than you're going to learn from me in this short episode, but I will dig in here and offer some thoughts about how health literacy can present a kind of stumbling block in patient-client education. It might not be the one you think. As you may know, I'm particularly interested in what language, literacy, and education have to do with each other, in and beyond the health sector. So, I've been keeping an eye on the implications of health literacy research for the practice of patient education. Hey, and just a reminder, I made an audiobook bundle called Effective Patient Education. It's a bundle of an 80-minute audiobook, 40-page ebook, research references, additional resources. It's inexpensive, and you'll be helping support this podcast series and your own learning. It's available for immediate download on healthcommunicationpartners.com. Back in the summer of 2017, the National Academy of Medicine made an argument in a discussion paper for what health literacy, health education, and health communication have in common. And I like this paper. Links are in the show notes, and I'm going to quote you from some of it now. Health communication, health education, and health literacy are rooted in a common understanding of human communication and share the goals of enhancing human health, improving health outcomes, and reducing health disparities. The fields of health communication, health education, and health literacy share the idea that strategic communication, using the tools of spoken, written, and gestured communication in a variety of cultural settings, can help individuals, groups, and whole systems grow learn, and make positive health decisions. And that's from the discussion paper called Improving Collaboration Among Health Communication, Health Education, and Health Literacy from the NAM. Now, the authors draw a pretty strong line connecting these sometimes siloed fields, and they make a compelling case, I think, for collaboration among them. And I'm going to use this statement as a kind of grounding for what I'm going to say about the stumbling block. 
Now, health literacy is a relatively young field. Sure, the term's been around for 40-something years, but it's really seen explosive growth as a research field in the last decade. Health literacy research has helped raise awareness of many issues related to patient education. Eliminating jargon, right? That's important. You've been doing that. Providing the same message in multiple formats, again important, and that's especially happening in the digital realm, which is cool. There's growing awareness that health literacy involves interactions, right, between and among individuals, but also between people and materials, and between people and their contexts. Health literacy research also has been asking providers to recognize that improving health outcomes involves understanding patients and clients' thinking and knowledge and resources and goals. There is much more that health literacy research has brought to the fore, including issues involving providers, patients, materials, contexts, and policies. But can health literacy get in the way of patient-client education? Now, patient education is a very complex endeavor. You don't need me to tell you that. You educate patients under sometimes unbelievable constraints. You often have a great deal of complexity to work with, and everyone learns differently, right? Add to this the fact that there can be subtle pressures against thinking about your patients or clients as capable learners. Sometimes patients can be framed or positioned in negative ways, even by well-meaning research, theories, practices, or policies. And health literacy research is no exception. Some of these taken-for-granted arrangements can become part of institutional norms and creep into providers' everyday actions. For example, a nurse manager told me how upset she was when she looked at a patient chart and she was about to meet with this patient and she glanced at the chart, the patient had just taken some sort of an assessment and had been labeled as illiterate and the nurse manager was suddenly unsure of how she should approach the patient. And in talking to me, she seemed disappointed in herself and in the fact that she did not know what to do in the moment as she began the patient encounter. As we continued talking, she realized that the one word, illiterate, had negatively impacted her thinking about the patient as a person. That patient suddenly seemed too different. Now, the term illiteracy, I've pointed out before, has been used as a pejorative term for decades all around the world. And the term illiterate can quickly take on negative connotations, too. Labels like this can conjure images of someone unintelligent, uninformed, backward, or somehow lacking in what's really necessary to function in the modern world. This is as untrue as it is damaging. That's not to say that having more literacy doesn't help in more ways in life. But people who are repeatedly told they are illiterate come to believe negative things about themselves. And in this case, with the nurse manager, the relationship between the patient and provider was damaged. In another example, I was talking with a client about some patient education materials she made. Now, one of the first things the clients tell me when I get ready to look at their materials is the reading level they have them at. Now, reading levels are easy to calculate. 
and they do draw attention to some important stylistic faux pas, such as too many overly long sentences. But when I mentioned that the Joint Commission's recommends health information be written at a fifth grade level or lower, she responded, then I have to write this for an 11-year-old. Whoa there, of course she doesn't have to write her materials for an 11-year-old. That is not the point, her audience is not children. But it's understandable when someone hears fifth grade to think 11-year-old. Again, suddenly the audience to her seemed too different children rather than adults. Reliance on reading levels is problematic, in part because of such implications. Anything that makes you feel more distant from your patient can make patient education seem more difficult and daunting. That stumbling block. So what can you do? Let's get around the stumbling block. I've got three quick reminders for you. Number one, everyone can learn. Let yourself reconsider any theory, policy, strategy, statement, or research that implies some people can't learn, or are not learning, or no longer learning, or not interested in learning. Many studies prove that even people who are labeled as illiterate by one measure or another draw on a broad range of strategies when it comes to literacy and numeracy activities in their lives. They have multiple sophisticated ways of reading a text or an image, of keeping track of items, of measuring and weighing, estimating and calculating. So be on guard for any implications that those kinds of people just can't learn. Number two, a patient's health literacy level is not a proxy for their education. A patient's health literacy level is not a proxy for their intelligence. But it can be treated that way albeit unintentionally. It may be more helpful to think of health literacy as someone's savvy with certain kinds of information, certain terms, certain systems, maybe ways of doing things that are specific to a certain context and known to insiders in that context. Number three, approach your patient as someone who uses language in sophisticated ways in their everyday life, because they do. Speak with this assumption in mind. You'll feel less disconnected from your patient or client, and you can focus on the task at hand. I'm a fan of yours and of health literacy and patient education, if that's not already obvious. So please reach out to me for support in the work you do around health literacy and patient education. This has been 10 minutes to better patient communication from health communication partners. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.